welcome everyone to an edition of Governed by God, a biblical look at law, civics, and government. My name is Eric Weeple. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. So, uh, last episode, I finished up the discussion on tyranny and totalitarianism uh, with a talk about freedom. And there's certainly a lot more that uh, we could talk about regarding Christianity, the gospel, being the seed of freedom for any society, and maybe we'll look more about how to flesh that out in future episodes. But what I want to do today is respond to a recently viral clip uh, that was between uh, state senator from Oklahoma, Nathan Dom, I believe is how you pronounce his name, and John Stewart about guns, drag queens, First Amendment, freedom of speech, things like that. So it's pretty viral. As far as I know, it's, it's, I've heard about it from multiple uh, people. Uh, and I'm sure everyone and their grandmother has has commented on it on their own podcast. So I figured I'll join in, maybe try to take a look at it from a different perspective or a different angle. But before we do that, I want to go into our passage of the day, which is going to be related to today's topic. So the passage is kind of a threefold passage because it's, it's the same story, but it's given in three different Gospels. So Luke 17, verses 1 through 3. Mark chapter 9, verses 42 through 48, and Matthew 18, verses 1 through 6. All right, so I'm going to go with the short version first. This is Luke 17. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. So that's Luke 17. And then we have Matthew 18, starting in verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. And then Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. All right, so three passages that talk about the concept of little children, and then very much right after that, temptation, sin, and hell. So what is the context here? Well, 
In all these cases, Jesus is presenting children as an example for his followers uh, because children have a simple faith and trust in their parents. Um, and that's the kind of faith and trust that God wants his people to have in him. So, so the context is with that kind of a, a faith and a resistance to temptation. Now, we see in all of these passages that those who seek to tempt God's people will be judged. So Jesus has many, many woes. And if the context is about God's people having a simple faith and trust in him, then God has some strong words uh, against those who would seek to lead his people astray. Because there is a concept of innocence, right? Innocence and purity. Uh, we see this in children, a very simple concept of that. Um, and then we also see that with God's people. There's a sense in which God's people are to be innocent, are to be pure, and to tempt them, to lead them into sin, is particularly heinous. So, uh, scripture would be clear that sinning is always bad, but it is worse to be the cause of sin, to be the one who tempts others to sin, whether that's a false teacher leading people astray or someone who actually is just enticing someone to join them in sin. So everyone will be held account for their own sin, but those who lead others astray will have it worse. So how do we apply these passages today? Well, the immediate application is for God's people. So we, as Christians, need to separate and distance ourselves from those things that tempt us. That's where the whole concept of plucking out your eye and cutting off your hand. It's not meant to be understood literally, but we need to recognize those things that lead us into sin and temptation, and we need to uh, remove ourselves and, and, and put up barriers and healthy distance between those things. We need also to take care not to become a stumbling block for others. So later on in Scripture, Paul talks about it, about not being a stumbling block for a brother in the Lord. So if we find ourselves leading other people into sin, that's a particularly bad thing. And then lastly, we as God's people need to come to him with complete faith and trust like a little child. But there is a, another application that spills over based on the analogy that Jesus uses with the children. Because if it is true that causing others to sin is particularly evil, and if it's true that children are a, a picture of what it means to be innocent and pure and undefiled, which is what God wants his people to be like, then God certainly hates it when anyone would tempt a child to sin. So not only does God hate it when, when people tempt uh, believers to sin, but uh, based on the analogy that God uses, that Jesus uses with little children, God also hates it when someone would dare tempt little children to sin. Uh, because in both cases, it is the corruption of that which is pure and innocent, right? Not that children aren't inherently sinful or selfish, but we all recognize there is a sense of innocence and purity among children. Um, even though they are sinners, they have not yet been exposed to or sinned against or been able to sin like adults have. So that kind of temptation and taking advantage of those who are in a position of vulnerability uh, merits the greatest of judgment. And it's, it's interesting that 
Jesus parallels uh, those who cause the little ones to sin, they should have a millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the, a sea. And the millstone is a very heavy object. Um, and then right after that, he talks about cutting off your hand, cutting off your eye, cutting off your foot. So in a sense, those who are leading children astray are going to be cut off by God, and they're going to be judged particularly uh, uh, strongly. All right, so that is our passage of the day. And now I want to move into this uh, debate or dialogue between uh, state senator from Oklahoma, Nathan Dom, and John Stewart, uh, who's the well-known comedian, actor, uh, whatnot. Now, I don't, I'm not going to play the whole debate. I'm going to play a clip of it. I guess the clip that's the most popular, right? I'm going to play one portion of it, stop it, and then play the next portion. I want to look at what is said. And I want to help you to think through these things as to how we as Christians uh, might respond to that. So let's, let's go ahead and, and see uh, what they have to say. You want to say, I'm a Second Amendment purist, and I'm making it safer. You're not. You're making it more chaotic. And that's not a matter of opinion. That's the truth. That is a matter of opinion, John. But why take away their tools? Because certain of their tools that they're using would be infringements upon the people's right to keep and bear arms, upon their constitutional rights, upon due so process, you're saying upon other things. That registering is an infringement. Yes. Okay. Is voting a right? It's a right for citizens. Yes. Do you have to do anything to do it? Yes. What do you have to do? It depends on the state. What do you have to do? Sometimes you have, to be, you have to be at least 18 years old. What do you have to do? And Keep in going. some places you have to uh -huh. f have a government-issued ID. What do you have to? You have to? You have to be on the voter rolls? Register. You have to register. Hmm? So you have to register to a right. Is that an infringement? Does the right to voting say shall not be infringed? Oh, so this is just a semantic argument now. No, it's not. You believe voting rights can be infringed because it doesn't say specifically is it shall not be infringed. Is it an infringement upon a 17-year-old's right to vote, since they don't have that right to vote? No. Oh, we, it's not an infringement on them? No, okay. ab absolutely not. Why not? You're Because you're the one making the argument, not me. I'm saying even rights have responsibilities, and that within those responsibilities, responsibilities are responsibilities yes. and order, otherwise it's chaotic. Okay, so we'll pause it there for a second. So he starts off with uh, comparing gun rights to voting rights. Now, in all of these discussions, you always have to look at the underlying assumptions and the presuppositions that a person brings to an argument. So whenever people make a claim, there's always something behind it or underneath of it. And if you're not careful, you'll get caught in a trap because it's basically like doing a loaded question, you know, like, when have you stopped beating your wife? That would be an example of a very silly loaded question. But the question is loaded in the sense that it assumes that you were beating your wife. And the question is, did you stop or not? But it's assumed that you did it, that you were doing it. And when it comes to debates and discussions on things like this, we must be discerning. And it's not easy in the moment, especially when you're not prepared uh, and you don't know what the person's going to say. And it's very hard to think on your feet and to process and to, and to see the underlying assumptions. Now, Jesus was very good at this. I mean, he's, he was a perfect man, right? Whenever the Pharisees came after him, he saw what was behind or under their argument, the assumptions that they brought to the table, and he addressed that. So, you know, I've had the, the luxury of being able to think on 
this clip and reflect on it and do some research and, and consider. So I'm going to offer to you, John Stewart and Nathan Dom are not playing by the same rules together, but Senator Dom fails eventually. He falls into the trap by adopting or agreeing with the assumptions that John Stewart makes. So he doesn't challenge the underlying assumptions. So for example, uh, there is a difference between God-given rights and man-made rights. And so the gun rights and the voting rights is apples and oranges. And here's why. Inalienable rights come from God. Now, our founding fathers understood that, and that's why the Declaration of Independence talks about endowed by our creator, inalienable rights, okay? Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, which, by the way, that phrase, pursuit of happiness, is uh, referring to the, the ownership of property and the pursuing of a virtuous life. It's not just instant gratification. That's not, that's not what I talking about. Part of the right to life is a right to defend your life, self-defense, okay? It's God-given because God gave you life, and it's tied to your personhood. All persons of any age have a right to life and have a right to defend themselves. Now, some of them physically can't because they're not strong enough or they're not able to, and they're going to lose, but they still have that right. And governments don't give you that right. That is already yours. Now, a government's job is to respect and recognize that right and to protect it, but does not come from the government. If the government granted you the right to life, it could, whenever it wanted to, just take it away on a whim. We don't believe that. So right to life, self-defense, that is God-given. Now, what about voting? Well, not all nations are democracies, and God does not mandate in Scripture that every nation be a democracy. So in our particular system that we've all agreed upon, our covenant, you know, the quote-unquote game that we all play together, this game called United States of America, the rules that we play by, we have incorporated in it a man-made right to vote. It is given by men. It's not a God-given right to vote. It is man-made because a country could be a monarchy that's obeying God, and there might not be a right to vote, but there still is a right to self-defense, even in a monarchy. Now, voting is not tied to personhood. So man-made rights are not tied to personhood. We know for, uh, for a fact that in the early part of our country, women and children and slaves did not have the right to vote. Okay? Was that because they were not viewed as persons? Well, the issue with the slaves, that is a separate matter. Certainly, that was a problem, not treating them as full persons. But women were considered persons, and so were children, and they also had right to life. In the ancient Roman Empire, children did not have the right to life because fathers could kill their children if they wanted to. But anyways, in our country, women and children were considered persons, but they didn't have the right to vote. Now, interestingly, it wasn't so clear-cut regarding black and white. I'm, I'm talking about ethnicity or skin color because there were uh, freed black men in the northern states that had the right to vote because they owned property. It was very much tied to property ownership. You had to be free, so not a slave, and you had to own property, okay? And so that's why there were very few black men who had the right to vote, but they were they did exist there in the North. So, the, But the issue here, though, is that man-made rights are not tied to one's personhood, okay? Um, so the right to vote does not matter whether you're a person or not. Children are still people today, they don't have the right to vote, okay? So it's an apples to oranges comparison. 
And that's why there is no comparison. That's why this argument is is completely is completely bogus there. So uh, that is what needed to have been addressed and pointed out here, but both sides ignored it. So let's let's continue with the next part of this discussion. I'll go you one further. You want to ban drag show readings to children? To my why? yes. Why? Why, why? What are you protecting? Why can we prohibit children from voting, those under 18 from voting? Why are you banning that? Is, is that free speech? Are you infringing on that performer's free speech? They can continue to exercise their free speech, just not in front of a child. Why? Because the government does have a responsibility to protect. I'm sorry? The government does have a responsibility uh -huh. in certain instances to What's protect What's the children? leading cause of death amongst children in this country? And I'm going to give you a hint. It's not drag show readings to children. Correct, yes. So what is it? I'm presuming you're going to say it's firearms. No, I'm not going to say it like it's an opinion. That's what it is. It's firearms. More than cancer, more than car accidents. And what you're telling me is you don't mind infringing free speech to protect children from this amorphous thing that you think of. But when it comes to children that have died, to stop that because that shall not be infringed. That is hypocrisy. All right, so what... What do we see here? Again, I encourage you, think about the presuppositions and the assumptions that are being brought in to the argument, and you have to look for those and address that, right? So here is where Senator Dom falls under the trap. The trap is regarding the role of the civil government to care for and protect children, the health and safety of children. And what he ends up doing is he ends up you know, saying that the government has a role to protect children. And that, when as soon as he said that, he gave John Stewart the victory. John Stewart won that argument. As soon as Senator Dom basically agreed by the rules that John Stewart was playing by. And you have to challenge those rules because, again, it is an apples to orange discussion. And I want to show you why. But first, let's take a look at John Stewart's claim about the cause of death in children and adolescents. He's mostly correct in this, by the way. So I, I did a quick search. If you go to americashealthrankings.org, you'll find that the leading cause of death from ages 1 to 19, so it's children and adolescents, is gun-related. It says mostly homicide. So you can deduce from that uh, gang violence. Uh, motor vehicle death is second leading cause. And then drug overdose and drug use is the third leading cause of death in children. All right. So here's the problem. The whole premise of their discussion, they both, whether intentionally or not, they both assumed that the government is primarily responsible for the health and safety of children. And maybe some people might not like that I'm going to say this, but that's not the civil government's primary responsibility. All right? There's different spheres of government, and the Bible makes it clear who has the primary responsibility. So health, welfare, and education— is the domain of family government. There are some instances, so for example, when the family fails, there are some instances when the civil government does get involved, okay? But that's, like I said, when the family fails or when violence spills over into the public arena. And that also brings me to the other distinction that needs to be made and was not. Neither of these men brought up the difference between public and private domain. So, Drag Queen Story Hour is in public libraries. That's a public venue, a public area. So let's just ignore, for instance, uh, gang violence in public. And let's just go with firearm death in the home, accidental discharge of a weapon. Well, that's the private domain, the home. 
right? Should the government control childhood obesity? Should the government mandate vaccines and masks? If we're going to assume that the government has ultimate and full authority for the health, safety, and welfare of children, well, then there is no limit to what the government should be able to do. It should be able to mandate fruits and vegetables and prohibit soda and candy. If a parent feeds the child Lucky Charms and Fruity Pebbles, government should step in and stop that from happening. The government should mandate masks and vaccines for children, and the parents should not have any say in it. So that is the problem with the argument if we assume that the government's role is to protect children. The government, the civil government's role in child safety is very small and very limited. When the family fails, such as in the physical abuse of a child, or when violence spills over into the public arena, gang violence. Now it's public, now it's in the streets, now the government needs to get involved. Okay, so the problem is, though, Senator Dom bought into the argument, as far as I can tell, he bought into it, he didn't challenge it, that the government has the responsibility to care for children, to be the mommy and the daddy. And when he did that, he lost the argument. Because if that is correct, then John Stewart is right. The government should control everything about the health and safety of children. Now, you know, what about things like the uh, the motor vehicle accidents? I mean, are we going to are we going to ban cars? Go back to horse and buggy? Well, they cause childhood deaths too. And what about drug use or overdose? Well, there are some things that the government cannot do. We need to recognize that in the Constitution, in the country that we live in, in the current covenant that we have agreed upon. We have agreed that the civil government has limited authority to get involved in the realm of parents and children. Very limited role in doing that. Now, if we want to break that and, and, and restructure everything, we could have a government that controls everything. Uh, maybe more like the CCP, Chinese Communist Party. And if we want to do that, well, maybe we could eliminate all gun violence against children. But it would probably require government agents in every home, uh, personnel everywhere, you know, kind of an omnipresence kind of thing, on every street corner, every building, every house. Uh, you need cameras everywhere, you know, an omniscience, all-knowing, every street corner, every house, every room. And then the government would need all the guns. Every gun, every weapon would need to be in the hands of the government. That's all power, omnipotent. So you'd need an omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent godlike government in order to potentially end all gun violence. The chance of that happening is slim, and even if you were to try to do that, there's no guarantee that you really will end all gun violence against children, and you might end up making it worse uh, for the whole culture. So whether we like it or not, God has established boundaries for certain governments, and yes, it is sad that children are dying from gun violence, and not just gang violence, but in the home. It's sad that children die in car accidents, or that they get obese, or that they have all these problems, and sometimes parents don't take care of their children. That is all horrible, and I would love for it to end tomorrow, but we cannot deviate from God's word and what God has required of the family and of the civil government um, because God's ways are the best ways. And if we're going to say that we can do it better by giving government full authority 
over the family and turning the government into the mom and the dad, going against what God has said, that is an act of pride and arrogance, and it's a deviation from, from God's word. So that distinction, the spheres of government, the role of the civil government is not primarily the care of children. Now, the other issue is the realm of public versus private and speech. So here's the thing. Uh, speech is not absolute either. And John Stewart's right. All rights have responsibilities. So you have a right to self-defense, right to bear arms. So you don't get to murder people. That's true. You also have the right to free speech, but you don't get to uh, commit slander, libel, defamation, or bearing false witness under oath. You don't get to do that either. Okay, so there's always going to be limits to speech. Again, though, the question is, what's the standard? Where's the line drawn? How do we know where the line is? We need to go by scripture. Now, is there such a thing as blasphemy? Yes, and that might be a discussion for another time, but we still do have blasphemy punishments today. There are certain words and things that if you were to say them publicly, you would lose your job, you would be sued, bad things would happen to you. There are still blasphemy laws, even if they're not on the books. There are still blasphemy laws today. There's always going to be. In every culture, in every society, there are certain things you cannot say or do in public. And again, the question comes down to what's your standard? Where do you draw the line? So when it comes to Drag Queen Story Hour, the issue of sexualizing children and exposing children to, to sexual behavior, there's laws against that, and there should be. Public indecency, exposure or abuse of a minor, uh, corruption of a minor. These are all legitimate rules that need to be enforced. And the free speech of a drag queen does not carry over into that realm. They do not have the freedom to expose themselves to a minor or to sexualize children or to corrupt a minor. And even though they're not physically killing children, so John Stewart points that out, that no one's dying from drag queen hours, ask yourself, what would Jesus say? about that. Would Jesus, our Lord and Savior, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, would he say that those drag queens are are tempting and leading the children astray and maybe tempting or causing them to sin? And what would he say should happen to those tempters when they do that? They should have a giant millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the sea. That's what he thinks. That's what Jesus thinks about tempting children to sin, not killing children, not hurting them, tempting them to sin. He's got some strong words to say about that. So there's always going to be limits to free speech. Would we have KKK story hour? Would people be okay with that? How about a neo-Nazi story hour? Skinhead story hour? Would that be good to have in the public library? The fact is that the government does have a role to play in punishing speech. Certain speech. Sexual exposure. Public indecency. A certain kind of blasphemy. That which that which destabilizes society, that which leads the most innocent and pure of our, of our population astray, that which takes advantage of the vulnerable, right? That which commits slander, libel, and undermines the truth and destroys the fabric of society and undermines the foundations of our covenant that we are in together. So there has to be a standard for knowing the line, and the standard is God's word. And so ultimately, you have to look at the underlying assumptions whenever you're having a debate or discussion like this. You have to challenge the rules that each person is bringing. And Senator Dom inadvertently granted Stewart the victory before it even happened. And Stewart's assumption in all of this is that the government is the ultimate 
authority to care for the children. That's their role, to care for the kids, to be the mom and the dad. But he ignores the different roles and responsibilities for different governments, family government, individual government, church government, civil government. He ignores the difference between God-given rights and man-made rights. They're not the same. And he ignores the difference between the private domain and the public domain. There is a difference. There are some things that you can do in private that you cannot do in public, that you can say in private and that you cannot say in public. There's limitations to both, of course, but they are different domains. And honestly, Senator Dom probably did not see this coming. Now, you know, we got to be fair. It's not, it's not easy to think through these things on the spot when you're under attack by a hostile person who's being particularly aggressive um, and bold like Stuart was. I've had the ability to think through these things and study these things and to consider them before doing this podcast. But the thing is, though, is that when you agree to do a public debate and have a discussion, you got to be ready for it. you got to think about what the other side's going to say. What's the strongest arguments that the other side makes? And what assumptions are they bringing to the table? And be able to handle those. Don't play the game by their rules. That's what they want you to do, and it is a trap. You have to challenge the rules. And if you're on the same page as far as the rules go, then you can debate the numbers, the facts, and the interpretation of those facts. But everyone brings assumptions to the table, and we see that pretty clear uh, today on this episode. So anyways, I hope that this is somewhat helpful, and I would encourage you just to think through these things and to look at the apples and the oranges, to look at the underlying assumptions in these debates and discussions so that you can get to the really root of the matter there. And so if you have any questions, comments, other topics you'd like me to address, please feel free to email me at thegbgpodcast at gmail.com or Go on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, look for Governed by God or the GBG podcast and just send me a message that way and I'll try to respond as quickly as possible. Again, I hope this was useful for you. Thank you for tuning in and until next time, take care and